If you're new with us, we're uh, working our way verse by verse through Luke's Gospel. Last week, Pastor Shane did a wonderful job looking at Jesus calming the storm and casting out uh, the demons of a man. And now uh, we're really completing a, what is a fourfold miracle sequence uh, of Luke showing us how Jesus has power over our greatest fears. The fear of nature, the fear of demons, now the fear of sickness, and it all culminates in our greatest of fears, namely death. And we're being shown here that Jesus is Lord over all things, physical and spiritual. And so let's pray together and let us see with the eyes of faith uh, what, what is being said here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit would now illuminate our minds so that these truths that we see in this text would be impressed upon our hearts and that it may change the way we live, that our faith would go stronger, our, our hope would be more anchored, and that our love uh, would, would be uh, more expressed uh, as a result of seeing Christ in the pages of his word. And we pray this in his good name. Amen. See if you can resonate with this. <clears throat> Four years of age, my mommy can do anything. Eight years of age, my mom knows a whole lot. Twelve years of age, my mother doesn't really know quite everything. Fourteen years of age, naturally mother doesn't know that either. Sixteen years of age, mother, she's hopelessly old-fashioned. Eighteen years of age, that old woman, she's way out of date. Twenty-five years of age, well, she might know a little bit about it. Thirty-five years of age, before we decide, let's ask mom's opinion. <laughs> Forty-five years of age, I wonder what mom would have thought about it. Sixty-five years of age, I wish I could talk it over with mom. My mother is still alive. She's quite simple. She's not up on most modern-day things, but she knows Jesus. And she has displayed for me faith, hope, and love for decades. And for all of this, I'm thankful. She doesn't really know how to start modern vehicles. Uh, just, just a couple weeks ago, my nephew was getting his wisdom teeth taken out, and he said, hey, can you meet me over at the dentist and drive my car home? And so uh, they said, hey, go get his car and bring it to the front door and take, take Noah home. And she goes out to the car, and uh, she couldn't find the hole to put the key in. You know, and then she finds the start button, and she's hitting it, but it won't start because you've got to put your foot on the brake. So she goes back in and tells the clerk, hey, can you come out here and, and bring this car because I don't know how to start it. Um, she can't start a modern vehicle, but she knows how to pray. And I would take the latter over the former uh, any day. And I'm sure many of you in this room have been blessed and enriched through the years by mothers with simple faith. And these stories in front of us, indeed many of the stories we've already looked at in Luke, is really about the power of simple faith in Jesus. Jesus is being shown in these pages to have authority over all things, that nothing is too great for our Lord. He calms storms, he casts out demons, he makes the lame to walk, he can forgive sins. And here we see that Jesus can meet us in our most desperate hour. And he can meet us in time of death and bring healing and wholeness. And in addition to seeing Jesus' power in this text, we also see his compassion. We see his tenderness, don't we? It's the compassionate power of Jesus that we're beholding here. Not only can Jesus deliver and heal, but he, he's also willing to do so. And one day he will do so forever. 
as we've been seeing throughout these stories, that Jesus is giving us previews of the new creation to come. We're always going to deal with the ruinous effects of the fall in this world. Natural disasters, sickness, death, suffering, and these things bring us great sorrow and deep grief. But a Christian is not without hope. Right? We live with the assurance that one day all of these things will be over forever. And these stories are to build in us faith that that indeed will be a reality in, in the right time. Now the text in front of us, it's, it's arranged in a very interesting way. It's kind of like two miracles for the price of one. <laughs> it's like a miracle Groupon. You've got Jairus who uh, comes to Jesus desperate because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. But before Jesus can get to the daughter... He's interrupted with, by a lady who has had a, a hemorrhage for 12 years. And by the time he deals with her and interacts with her, the 12-year-old daughter has already died. It, and, and, but, but the two stories together are really teaching us one, one big idea. You know, it's similar to a story I read one time uh, about a lady who wrote into Ann Landers. This is way back in the day. And she, she said that I was at a funeral, my mother had died, I was crushed, and uh, I was into the, in the middle of the funeral, a guy, very flustered, comes into the funeral, he's obviously late, and he keeps whispering to me, saying, why does the minister keep calling Aunt Mary Margaret? And I said, because that was her name. And lo and behold, he was at the wrong funeral. He was supposed to be at, across the street at the Lutheran church. And uh, when they discovered it, they almost burst out into inappropriate laughter in a, in a funeral. And then they, they, uh, they connected after the funeral services and ended up getting married. Uh, and had spent you know, years together in marriage. You, you don't really expect that, that two funerals get tangled together and out comes a real happy marriage. And, and that's what's happening here. You've got two stories that get tangled together to teach us this great truth that you can, you can trust Jesus in your desperation and in your death. Now, they're intertwined in a number of ways, right? That because of the sequence of events, they're obviously intertwined, but, but also there are expressions of faith. There's this woman who has faith in Jesus, Jairus who has faith. They're also intertwined by the terminology. Jesus uses the term daughter for this lady with the hemorrhage, and Luke uses it for the 12-year-old girl. And if you're in Christ, ladies, let me remind you that this is your fundamental identity, that you're a daughter of the king, right? And all the ladies today who are searching for identity, you, don't, you can stop the search and you can start worshiping. If Jesus Christ calls you daughter, that is a remarkable thing, isn't it? And they're also intertwined by the number 12. The, the girl is only 12 years old and the lady has been suffering for 12 years. She has been in, in misery for as long as the child has existed. And we also see how two different people here fall at the feet of Jesus and experience his healing. It's the healing of two daughters. And I pray this is encouraging to you now as we have a look at it in just those two parts. Trust Jesus in your desperation and trust Jesus in your death. Okay, verse, first of all, verses 40 to 48, we're introduced to this synagogue ruler, Jairus. Big crowd is welcoming Jesus. And Jairus comes to him in verse 41, and we're told that he's the ruler of the synagogue. So he would have been in charge of the supervision of the building, the overseeing of, of the services. He would have uh, definitely known uh, Jesus, or known of Jesus, because Jesus ministered there. 
He would have been familiar with the miracle working of power, miracle working power of Jesus. But what is surprising is that he is a Jewish synagogue ruler, and yet we find him here in this story coming to Jesus. And this is another example in Luke's gospel of how sometimes it's surprising who comes to Jesus. You don't expect this respected Jewish leader because of all the opposition in the gospels from Jewish leaders at Jesus. You don't expect one to come falling to Jesus publicly asking for his help. And yet here it is. This seems to be the beginning of faith for Jairus as he is desperate. He's a well-respected man. Think about this. Here's a man that's well-known in the area, well-respected. Those are the kinds of guys that don't always fall down on their knees. They don't always fall face down at the feet of Jesus. And yet he does. That's a picture of his, his desperation. Soon his desperation will, will be taken with hopelessness as the 12-year-old eventually goes from dying to dead. But here, before the interruption occurs, she's dying, and Luke underscores the tragedy of it by saying that she's only 12 years old. Yeah. What, what, what could be worse than hearing a doctor tell you that? that your, your daughter is dying. You know, Mother's Day brings a lot of emotions. To some, a great deal of joy, and to others, a great deal of grief. And many have known the tragedy of losing children. And it's, um, you, you go back through history, and you just see the, the loss, and it is really remarkable how people continue to persevere despite such loss, right? John Owen, a, a wonderful theologian, and his wife Mary lost 10 of their 11 children. Charles and Sally Wesley had eight children, but only five survived infancy. In 1812, the missionaries Adoniram and Ann Judson sailed to Burma after being denied entry to India, and en route, their first child was born on the ship, but was stillborn and buried at the sea. Later, their son Roger was born in Burma, but tragically died before his second birthday. Then Maria was born while Adoniram was being held in a death prison. After he was released, His wife, Anne, died, and two months later, the baby did as well. You could go on and on throughout the history of the church, and you see people of faith not persevering because they didn't have any grief, but being sustained by the grace of Jesus in their grief, right? And many of you who've known this kind of heartache, or perhaps the heartache of infertility, know that in those moments of grief, you've also experienced the surpassing comfort of Christ, And it's even given you a greater uh, uh, anticipation of the glory that is to come um, because you know that they're safe in God's hands. But at any rate, Jairus doesn't want to be among that number. And so he does what any person of of faith would do, even though, again, it seems that he has a small amount of faith at this time. He at least is going to the right person. (laughs) And that's that's the one thing you see in this guy and in in the, the lady with the hemorrhage is even though it seems that they need a bit of theology being corrected, like everybody who first comes to faith in Christ, they at least are going to Christ. And I think that's really worth underscoring, that today it's, it's popular to talk about faith, but there's no object assigned to the faith. It's like, are you a person of faith? Oh, yeah. Well, who do you believe in? And you're like, oh, we're not together. Um, <laughs> we're on different teams. Or it's kind of a generic uh, faith in faith that is being espoused. You know, the old uh, Prince of Egypt movie, the cartoon, there can be miracles when you believe. 
When you believe, though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve when you believe? But believe in what? Believe in whom? That's politically correct, but not biblically correct. Right? If you have faith in any object of faith other than Jesus, you have a false hope. Learn from Jairus, learn from this next lady, and direct your faith to Jesus in desperate situations. Because Jesus specializes in lost causes. He specializes in desperate situations. It's not just that Jesus used to do some good things in the past. He's still doing them today. Well, that's the, the, uh, the Jairus's, or Jairus, I kept saying it the other way in the first service, and I'm like, well, however you want to pronounce it, Merida, Merida, Jairus, uh, Jairus. Uh, we meet this lady, and here she comes in verse uh, 42. As Jesus went, the crowd pressed in around him, and there was uh, a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on the physician, she could not be healed by anyone. <laughs> this is awful, isn't it? Bleeding for 12 years, probably, presumably, some kind of a uterine hemorrhage, and she couldn't stop the bleeding. It was most likely life-threatening as well, but it had ruined her life in, in, in more than just the physical sense. According to the law of Moses, one with a discharge of blood like this was rendered unclean. So she could not go to temple to worship. She could not be around her family. In addition to her physical illness and this chronic problem, she was completely isolated. So she's tried everything from physicians to uh, probably quackery. There were all sorts of, you know, urban legends about how to cure this sort of thing in antiquity. And yet nothing had worked for her. She spent all that she had. So here's a situation. She lost her health. She'd lost her wealth. She'd lost her family. That's about the point where you're thinking about ending it all, isn't it? I mean, if you're honest, if you're in this kind of situation, what a terrible existence that would be. And we too will often find ourselves in situations where no human solution will solve our problem. And it's in those moments, isn't it, that God often brings us to our knees. And when he does, that's a gift of grace. When he brings us to the point of recognizing that we're not all that. And we don't know everything. And we're, we're frail. That the Lord gets our attention and brings us to a moment of desperation. And we find ourselves there for a variety of reasons. In spite of all the medical progress we've made today, and we're thankful for all of it, we still can't beat death. And we still deal with incurable disabilities or chronic diseases. In those moments, we learn from this lady to come to Jesus, to direct our faith to him. And Mark tells us that she had heard reports about Jesus. And so she has uh, uh, some kind of holy hunch, you might say, that maybe Jesus can do something about it. And so it says in verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood had ceased. Now, we're not given all the details here, like uh, did she go in disguise because she was unclean? Um, did she just sort of get, she count on getting lost in the crowd? We don't know exactly, but she does come to Jesus, takes an interesting approach, touching his garment, and she's healed. And Luke says immediately she's healed. 
this is highlighting the miracle working of, uh, power of Jesus. He can hear, heal a 12-year sickness when no one else could in a moment for free. <laughs> and you see in this lady and you see in Jairus that, that real faith always involves action. Real faith digs through the roof. It touches Jesus. It kneels down. It begs. Real faith is public faith. And it's also risk-taking, isn't it? Like she's taking a risk here. As she, would have, she was already labeled unclean, but she would have faced more repercussions of going public, more humiliation, possible retribution. Yet she doesn't care what people would say. She is going after Christ, seeking his healing. And in verse 45, her faith gets more public and her faith gets clarified as Jesus says, who is it that touched me? Now you can debate this in small group if you like. Did Jesus not know or is Jesus saying this for her benefit? I personally think it's the latter based upon a few clues in the text. I don't think he's, he's lacking information, but I think he wants to bring her into the light, calling attention to her. And Jesus has an unusual way sometimes uh, of calling out uh, people and calling out faith. But nevertheless, um, we're told here by Luke that he recognizes that something has happened because power has gone out from him. Now think about that. A lot of people were touching Jesus in this crowd, but only one person touched him in faith. And he knew something had happened. Apparently there was spiritual energy that went out from Jesus when this happened. We've seen in other places where he would go away after a busy uh, time of ministry with people. And so the disciples think locating this person is uh, impossible because of the crowd. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and, you and are pressing in on you. Well, like, what's the point here? But Jesus said, Someone has touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Isn't that amazing here? She comes to Jesus, first of all, here in fear and trembling, like this could be reverence. It could be, am I in trouble? Am I about to be rebuked? Perhaps a combination of, of all of that. But I love how Luke, he doesn't give us a lot of the details, but he, he shows that this lady gives both a confession and a testimony. A confession, why she came to Jesus. And we can fill in the details because she was desperate and how he healed her, a testimony. He healed her immediately. And then Luke tells us the tender words of Jesus, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He, he doesn't want this lady just to know him as a miracle worker. He calls her daughter. You see, there's relationship language here. There's intimacy here. And this one word calmed all of her fears. And that's all it takes for us to believe the word that Jesus speaks over us. Daughter, son. This is the only time, interestingly, in the Gospels that Jesus addresses a lady with this term. A lady who had a chronic health problem for 12 years. He calls her daughter. He's calling her into a relationship with him. And that's why I think Jesus is, is clarifying some things in this little statement where he says, your faith, emphatic, it's your faith that has made you well. 
It's faith in Jesus that has made you well. He, he doesn't want her or any other person to believe that this is some kind of superstition. All right, if you just touch his garment, then you're healed. But it's, it's your faith in Jesus that has healed you. And this word heal, healed, sozo, is the word from which we get the word saved. It could be rendered your faith has saved you. It saved you. Jesus, then we, we read this story at, at various levels. If you're familiar with Seinfeld, levels Jerry, right? There's a, there, there is this physical level. Yes, you've been healed, but something more is happening here. He wants to restore her whole person. He wants to save her. And again, this is an already but not yet picture of what Jesus Christ will do for us at the Perusia. He will, he will bring complete restoration. He tells her to go in peace, to go in shalom. Because our Christ has come to reverse the curse. He's come to heal us entirely. And one day he will. And I think Jesus calls this lady out in part also to dignify her in the community. He's restoring her, her dignity. This is a daughter of mine. I don't know what you have in your past, but maybe you have a hard time believing this sort of stuff. That if you made a bad decision or some sin has ostracized you, you kind of identify with that, that shame. And even though you may not be able to change people's minds regarding you, if Jesus Christ says your faith has saved you, if Jesus Christ says you are a new creation in Christ, that you're my daughter, then you can walk in that dignity. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He's not a genie in a bottle. And we know that not all of our problems will be saved in this life or will be solved in this life. Not every touch heals, but if we're a son or daughter of the king, eventually we will experience total shalom. Well, we trust Jesus not only in our desperation, but in our death. Meanwhile, this uh, episode with the now healed woman has delayed Jesus with Jairus' uh, daughter. And so Jairus, the synagogue ruler, goes from uh, desperate to hopeless. He's thinking to himself, if Jesus could only figure out how to get through a crowd properly. <laughs> this was not Chick-fil-A. He would have had no problem uh, get, getting there in time if it was a Chick-fil-A line. Uh, but but uh, they didn't have Chick-fil-A in this time, guys. Um, and that's too bad. But nevertheless... As I always say, they should run the federal government, I think, most efficient people in the world. Uh, I would say more about that, but uh, time would fail me. Um, now, here's the thing. They come to uh, Jesus and they say, well, don't trouble him anymore. She's dead. Now, think about that. No one believes that Jesus' power extends beyond the grave. Do you believe that? That his power extends beyond the grave. It was okay to call on him because he's worked miracles when the daughter is dying. But now that the daughter has died, what's the point? Can his power extend beyond the grave? And Jesus hears them and he answers them. Do not fear, only believe and she will be well. That's it. Believe. I imagine some around there would be like, what else? What else do we do? It's kind of like when Moses is told, hey, just hold up the serpent on the pole in the wilderness, and everyone who looks lives. And, you know, they're kind of like, well, what else we got to do? <laughs> Nothing. Look and be saved. This is a picture of our salvation. It is faith in Jesus alone that saves us.
But he's also showing us here that we can trust him, not just for our ultimate salvation, but in the middle of, of life's painful situations. He's with us. Sometimes we're, we may feel that Jesus is treating us severely. But these moments are often preludes to his goodness. As the hymn writer put it, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And it's hard to believe sometimes, isn't it, that there is a smiling face behind a hard providence. But it's in these moments, and here you see it in this story, that Jesus is actually increasing Jairus' view of him. And he often leads us through trials so that we can come out on the other side with a greater view of Jesus Christ. You see, it's one thing for Jairus to trust Jesus when the 12-year-old is dying. It's another thing to trust Jesus when she's dead. It's one thing to trust Jesus when you're alarmed. It's another thing to trust him when a situation seems irreversible. And that's where he's at. But Jairus learns, as we learn in this pilgrimage of faith, that there's always more to Jesus than you've ever imagined. <laughs> and one day in new creation, we will see it with our own eyes. Well, we also see here in this story that Jesus knows what he's doing, even though people think he doesn't. Like we, we struggle with patience. We would be there right with Jairus as well. But Jesus is always right on time. And in verse 51, we see that he takes with him the trio, Peter, James, and John. He's continuing to reveal his identity to them and the father and the mother of the child. And they're all weeping and mourning for this child. Now, there would have been, in addition to the family members who are mourning, there were also professional mourners. It was, it was uh, uh, customary to have these mourners present. They were kind of like uh, funeral DJs. Um, and <laughs> even the poorest of people had these mourners who were present, but they were like paid people. They weren't like actually identifying with the sorrow of the person or, or the family. And that's why when Jesus says, do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping, they laughed at him. The, these mourners, they, 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 they laugh because they think that believing that Jesus has power over the dead is ridiculous. And you may have some friends or family members that think that about your faith. And just, just keep loving them and keep trusting Jesus and know that that's not old. That's the spirit of these mourners. But notice what Jesus says. It's interesting. In verse 52, do not weep for she is not dead. She's sleeping. Now, obviously, she is dead. The mourners would not be there if she's just taking a nap. But I think Jesus says it this way because this is how he wants Jairus to view her death. It's like sleeping. That's how the early church talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. And everybody is mocking. They're laughing. And Jesus shows everybody that he's the smartest guy in the room. He's always the smartest guy in the room. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's about to show them that he has power over the realm of the dead. He is greater than Elijah and Elisha who raised the dead but had to pray to God to intervene there is no prayer offered because Jesus is the higher power. He simply says the word, child, arise. Child, arise. He, notice before he says that, he takes her by the hand. He takes her by the hand and speaks to her, child, arise. Now, touching a dead person would render one unclean, but here the clean one touches the unclean one. And she is cleansed, cleansed, and he is not contaminated. <laughs> and he does it so tenderly, doesn't he? 
This is probably something like her mother would have done every morning. Child, arise. Some of us, we wish we had the same success when, when we say that, as it says that she got up at once. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have such success when we do it, but, but you can imagine Jesus here in a very tender way just speaks to her, child arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. So she returns to her former state. This is not the final resurrected state, but a restored state. But she's restored, and, and, and they say, give her something to eat, showing that she's been raised in the flesh. And her parents are astonished in verse 56, and he tells them not to say anything about this, as Jesus in his own time will reveal his identity to them. He wants to be known for more than being a miracle worker. And so we're left here with this picture of a great reunion. It wasn't final resurrection yet. That was still their ultimate hope, and that's our ultimate hope. But this story points us to final resurrection. Right? This story gives us reason to believe in final resurrection. It shows us that you and I can face death in peace if we know Jesus Christ. Amen. Death for us is not the end. It's like sleeping. Here's the deal, Christian. Let me put it this way. When Jesus has your hand, even death is like sleeping. He just says, honey, time to get up. When Jesus has your hand, even death is like sleeping. You will wake up. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not even death. He will hold us fast. Our Savior has power over the grave. Don't be like the doubters or the skeptics or the scoffers in this story. Believe that Jesus Christ has power over the grave. And this is what our faith is about. It's about resurrection. It's not about just cleaning up your life a bit or getting some kind of moral makeover. It's about people rising from the dead through their faith in Jesus Christ. And this story gives us a sneak preview that that will happen for us. Now, right now, evil and sickness and death, even death of little children, continue to exist in our world. And this story doesn't give us explanations for a lot of our questions about why evil exists in this world. But it does show us that real faith holds on to Jesus in the midst of suffering, in the face of death, knowing that he has ultimately conquered it all through his resurrection. And one day, all sad stories will cease. All funerals will cease. Timothy George, a historian, recalls one of the lowest points of the reformer Martin Luther in his life. His beloved daughter, Magdalena, barely 14 years of, uh, of age, was stricken with the plague and was about to die and eventually did. Brokenhearted, he knelt beside her bed, Luther, and begged God to release her from the pain when she had died and the carpenters were nailing down the lid of her coffin. Luther screamed out, hammer away. One glorious day, she'll rise again. That's the hope of a Christian. Hammer away. Put me in the ground. One glorious day, Jesus is going to come to me and say, Tony, get up. Child, arise. <laughs> it won't be like my parents trying to wake me up. Come on, man. <laughs> get up. But he'll say the word. And you and I will rise. We can trust Jesus in our desperation. 
we can trust him in our death. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Praise be to God for his word. Father, what hope you've given us in the pages of your word. We long for the whole world to know our Christ so that they can face death with this kind of peace and this kind of certainty. And we pray that you would make us eager to share the good news with the whole world. And I pray for those who are in Christ today that they would know the, the comfort of this afresh and to know that they can trust our Christ in every season of life. So even now, I pray that you would build us up in our most holy faith. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.